but that's our nature. We look around at what's going on, on this, in this country and how many folks are not caring anything at all about God. Jesus never crosses their mind. Don't feel too hard at them. They may very well be waiting on you to say something to them about Jesus because they're certainly not going to think about him themselves, my Bible says. But it's their natural way. It's their natural being. That's the way they're supposed to be going right now until you, through the Holy Spirit, change them around by giving them information that they'll know about Jesus and his salvation. And then they'll choose to hear that and believe that and move to him like we all have. Or I hope we all have. I think we have. Now with that in mind, it says something in our scripture that's a very special place to me. It's in 2 Corinthians in chapter 11 and verse 3. But I fear, Paul says, by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. You have any doubts about that? Do you think that you may have a tendency to want things a little bit fancier, things a little bit busier, things a little bit nicer, things a little bit more comfortable than they are? Well, I'll tell you a secret. God showed it to me this week. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not a prophet nor son of a prophet. I can't look into the future and tell you anything, but I got an idea this week is coming up to be one of the strongest weeks we've had maybe in the history of the United States. It's not going to be like it was after two. Don't think it is. And if anything is going to be touched in this country, the morality, the lawlessness, the hatred, any of this, it's going to touch the church. Look around. This church is going to be changed. And every church, every single church up and down the road is going to be changed. Nothing's going to be the same. We passed by the foundation in Alabaster of that new church they're building up there. And Judy made the comment, boy, that's sure going to be a big church, isn't it? You know what I've noticed? That's the only ones they're building now. <laughs> you don't see any 30 people churches being built like they used to be up and down in the country on the corner. They're building mega churches. Five, six, seven thousand people. And five of them will have one preacher. 
And it won't have a one sermon either. And everybody will get the same lesson the same morning. That's an interesting thing. But I'm going to tell you this. In Acts, and you may want to turn there, In Acts chapter chapter 2, it talks about some things in the early church. I went back and looked at that. I've been fascinated by the way the early church got started. You know, Jesus was killed somewhere in the, the 30s A.D. And the last book that was put in the New Testament was about 92. So the church was about 60 years old when the New Testament was put together. When they tell you in first, or Second Timothy chapter 3, I believe, that the word can be trusted. You know what he's talking about. He's not talking about the New Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't even in existence then. The New Testament Christians didn't have any New Testament to read. That's the reason a man like Jesus came along kind of through him so. There wasn't any such thing in the New Testament as a church house. Do you know that? There's some things this morning that I've noticed in myself that we all were taught and we assume that things are happening and we say, do what now? There wasn't a church house? Not a one. Not a one. They didn't do things then like they do now. They did it simply. They went to somebody's house and met and the people there fed them and they all left. Next time it was somebody else's house. They didn't compete with each other with bricks and windows down there on the corner. And I'll tell you something too that I want to bring to your attention. I hear a lot of people talking and I listen to conversation and I got an idea of what's in people's minds. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to go to heaven by yourself. Do you know that? You're going to go to heaven by yourself. Not going to be a group unless it's at a rapture. And I don't know how close people are going to be then. We're going to go floating up in the air in the clouds to meet Jesus. But if it's not at the rapture, you will be by yourself when you come face to face with Jesus. You won't have your wives or your kids by the hand. And you certainly won't be able to turn around and say, Lord, if you hadn't given me this woman right here, I wouldn't have been like I was. Or if you hadn't given me this bunch of rowdy kids, I wouldn't be like I was. We're not going to be able to pass the excuses on to anybody. We're going to be by ourselves. And when Jesus reminds us of kind of the life we lived 
It's going to be on us. And it's not simple anymore. It's not as simple as, uh, Mama, where are they going to meet this Sunday? I think it'll be down at John Mark's house, his mama's house. But you see, like I've said about Easter before, people have taken, worshipers have taken Easter and turned it into something that Jesus never even thought about. And that's the way we do it now. And it's not that way. The church that Jesus talked about, the church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against, that church is not a building. It's you. You got the church with you. God's not waiting down at the church for you to come. He's coming with you. And if you don't show up, he might not be there. He doesn't live here when we're gone. Jesus' death and burial and resurrection took care of that when the veil was rent. He doesn't live in the church anymore. And somebody said, well, you had those churches in, the temples and all. They weren't churches. That's not the church that Jesus was talking about. They had to get out of the temple to join the church, to be part of the church, because the church was put in them. And now we compete with each other about our churches. We don't realize that the church is inside here. That is the church that Jesus Christ was talking about. The church is not material. It's not brick. It's not wood. It's flesh and blood. It's bones and soul and you and I. That's what it is. And the folks in that day would just soon meet under a brush arbor as they had in somebody's front room. Because churches in those days wasn't very big anyhow. There wasn't that many in people in one place to cover four or five city square blocks like they do in some of our towns. And something else I think about. A couple, three years ago, Judy and I were at one of our local, we'll call it a First Baptist Church of a community. There's hundreds of them in Alabama. We was there for a birthday party for somebody that was having it at the fellowship hall. And as we were leaving, I picked up a bulletin. This church had about 120 members, regular attenders it was. They had 18 committees. Of the 120 regular members of that church, people who attended, there was 18 committees. I counted some of those people on five committees. When you don't have your ear tuned to the Holy Spirit, you got to have a bunch of supervision or things will go off the tracks, won't it? The peace that we have 
when giving things to God and letting Him make the decisions about how we do. You have a peace that you don't have from anything else. We tend to take our churches and change them into groups and committees and people that are in charge of this and in charge of that. And it's like the Presbyterian lady said that she really didn't think she had enough physical strength to become a Baptist. You had to go to too many committee meetings. We got a guy right here in the room and when he came to this church told me the first Easter he was here that this is the first time he had ever celebrated Easter without having to practice four months for it. That's the way we do. We want run from one room to the other room and go home completely exhausted from being at church. Now if anybody doesn't believe that now, speak up now. Because most places that's what it's, that's what it's all about. And that's not what it's supposed to be about. God's word still comes out. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. Does that mean it's hard to know He's God if you're not still? I'd have to say it's harder. Because God is always in the business of us calming down, slowing down our lives, quit having so many things on our mind so he can get in there with a thought or two occasionally. And think about him and cause other people to think about God in a day that they probably would not have thought about him if you hadn't said something. That's a witness too, folks. Just to bring God to somebody else's mind. That's all it is. We have a tendency to make everything complex, everything complicated, everything busy, everything cluttering our mind. So it's hard to get our mind fixed on the Lord and what all these things that he talks about and stands for. You can't hardly look at the local church today and come up with the way they conducted church in the first 60 years of the history of the church. They don't look like it anymore. I remember several years ago, it's been years ago now, 25, maybe more, that we was having a supper for a company at a church fellowship hall, and I went by a door where they had all the offices, and it had minister of recreation on the door to an office. Minister of recreation. We're way too busy, folks. 
A church was a group of people. And wherever they were, that's where church was. Today's churches, for the most part, and all that they bring to your mind are products of humanity. There are things that we thought were good ideas and added to it. And they have a way of getting in the way and distracting. Most churches built today are built on borrowed money. Do you know that? That's always been a problem. But I don't believe it is one of the ordinations to burn a mortgage. <laughs> but that's, churches do it every day now. And God in James says, if you have a need, you ask me. I'll give it to you. You don't have to sell cupcakes or pies or anything to raise money. All you got to do is ask me and I'll give it to you. We don't do it like that. We don't believe him, I guess. They deal with credit. Borrowing money. Our Bible says, Oh, no man anything but to love your neighbor as yourself. And borrower is servant to the leader, to the lender. You know that. You borrowed money. The guy that agreed to loan you the money comes around and you act different. Because you feel behold. And we compete with each other. Bigger and bigger buildings, bigger and bigger windows. Cover a lot of acreage, a lot of bricks. And then in times like today, when COVID hits, I don't know how many church people I talked to during the time of COVID when they were talking about there's no money coming in and we're having to lay off staff. I wondered if they were laying off any of those ministers of recreation. The maintenance was so high during that time. In fact, the biggest reason we have this church today, probably beside the fact that God wanted us to have it, was that three ladies weren't able to finance the upkeep of the facilities here, and they had to turn it over to somebody else. Too many salaries, too much status depend on who. I remember several years ago of coming across the information that there were 1,380-something churches, Baptist churches in the state of Alabama at that time. 1,380-something. 500 and some of them were without a pastor. Over one-third of the Baptist churches in the state of Alabama didn't have a pastor. And I got to looking 
of the applications that were in Montgomery about preaching at a particular church. This would happen to be a Baptist. There were over 5,000 applications wanting a job to preach in a Baptist church. Why didn't they go to work? Why didn't some of those 5,000 get one of those 800 or so jobs? Because it wasn't full time. <laughs> if they couldn't live off what they were making preaching, they didn't want to preach. That to me was amazing to see that. I think sometimes it gives us a little bit more accurate picture of actually who we are. You know, Paul made tents while he preached. You remember that? Made it on living. Said he didn't want to take anything away from the people he preached to. So many of our churches today, I think, are run like a big corporation. You know, they got CEOs. They know how to put a lot of people on to work. And they're very successful at growing a company. But when it comes time for them to get up and preach, I don't think some of them know what to say. Let me show you something in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Something is said about the early church. Verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That's the day at Pentecost when 3,000 people were saved. Then see what it said they did. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine that is what Jesus taught the apostles. The same instruction that he gave the apostles, the people who were born again were learning. And fellowship, enjoying one another. And in breaking of bread, they ate at their church whenever they met. And in prayers, they prayed together when they met. Now, we've added one thing to that that I don't have a problem with. I don't think God would either because there's two books in the Bible at least that are song books, but they sang at the meeting too. And I've seen what the importance singing and music has with a group of people who meet here at this place. And there's no way to replace it. It is part of what we do. What else besides that list would you need to have at your church 
that would help you become the kind of person that God would say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I think that pretty well covers it. Sometimes added attractions become added expenses and distractions. I think of sometimes, maybe your mind works this way, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's just because I got called to preach and I've developed a different attitude since I've been preaching. And that was at 60 when I got turned around a little bit. But it's amazing to me how much some people at church, in a churchyard, in a church building or whatever, try so hard to copy what's going on with the world right now. Easter got its name from a pagan holiday. The king of the country said, well, if most people are going to be Christians in our country, we might as well call the whole country Christians, and everybody that lives in this country will be called a Christian. But wait a minute, they hadn't been born again. But they named the holiday Easter, a pagan holiday. And we've been calling it that ever since. But folks in church want to have Halloween. Now there's a pagan holiday for you. Whether they have trunk or treats or something like that, I think. Is anything wrong with that? I don't know. I'm just bringing it up. But it's our nature to want to do the things that God, I think, would really like for us not to have even part in our life. Well, you know, we've got the kids to have to deal with, you know. You hear that. And I'm not preaching a popular message, you hear me? And I feel it. But that is our natural bent to do those things that way. Bringing the world into the church. And that's what we've done. We've organized the churches just like a business. They got a committee for everything. Got somebody in charge of everything. They got a, a chairman of the committee for everything. They got somebody in charge. Nothing can happen without somebody making it happen. And I think the Holy Spirit of God says all the time, hey, I've been right here all the time. If somebody just allow, allow me a chance, I'll show you what I can do. It's hard to be totally quiet in any church I've ever been in. You ever thought of that? Somebody's got their turn. You either singing or you got. I can remember one time at a church I was leading a singing that, that the preacher told me, he said, I want it at 20 minutes after. I don't care what else you do. That's how jammed up they were. 
guy wanted to say something one time. He stood up in the back. He's an old man. He stood up. Well, the preacher got to noticing him. He was still trying to continue preaching. And he began to stutter a little bit. This guy just standing up in the back. He wasn't looking up. He was just looking at the floor standing there. And it must have took five minutes for the preacher to ask him. He said, Brother so-and-so. He said, yes, sir. He said, would you like to say something? He said, I sure would like the opportunity. And he interrupted his sermon and asked the man what he had to say. And what the man had to say was very valuable to everybody in there. I don't remember what it was. The preacher complained about being interrupted for months after that. I'm glad y'all don't feel like that. I'm glad that two little kids sitting there in the back row can raise, one of them can raise his hand, and I'll ask him, you need something? Yes, sir, would you pray for my so-and-so? His dog got run over. They do that. And to me, that's a good thing. But you know what? The same thing still happens that it did over 2,000 years ago. Same thing we're about. What is the last thing Jesus said before he left here? Go. As you go, teach and preach and baptize. How many of us have got teaching and preaching and baptizing stories to tell about our experiences trying to witness to somebody? In Acts chapter 17, in verse 32, Acts 17, 32. And when they heard of the resurrection. Now when do people hear of the resurrection? When does that come into the conversation? When you're talking about Jesus. That's the only time it comes into conversation I know of. I don't know of anybody else who's been resurrected. So somebody was telling somebody about Jesus. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some of those who heard the sermon on salvation made fun of the people who were doing the preaching. And you know what? They always do. If you can't take them having fun made of, of what you say, if you can't be, 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 be dealing with being challenged about what you're trying to tell somebody, you won't make it. Because somebody's going to be making fun of you because they think it's cute. Because they don't want to get too serious, and that's the reason they're teasing and making fun. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, 
And others said, we'll hear thee again of this matter. So there's two ways that the message of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross was received by the average walking up and down the street public. A bunch of them made fun of it. And the rest of them said, hmm, that sounds pretty interesting. I'll talk with you later about this. And that's two of the three ways that everybody for over 2,000 years have, have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ being presented to them in a private setting, you might say, at their house or at a get-together or maybe just on the street or maybe driving down the road together. So Paul departed from among them. Verse 33. So Paul departed from among them after he had just given them the invitation. At the end of his speech, he gave them an invitation. And there it was. And so when he gave them the invitation, he got up and left. Nothing said about one more verse of just as I am. Didn't say anything about it. He didn't say, hold on, fellas, some of y'all are leaving. I want to talk to you a little bit more before you get away from here. You remember when the rich man came to Jesus and asked him, how must I be saved? It said he left sorrowful. Jesus didn't run after him and tap him on the shoulder. Hold on now. You, you, I need to say a few more words before you go. That's not the way it's done, folks. You either, you either believe or you don't believe. How be it? Verse 34. How be it? Paul's already gone. I don't know what the crowd's doing. Probably still making fun or maybe discussing how they're going to hear about it later when they got time. How be it? Certain men clave unto him and bleed. There's a third way. <laughs> it's always somebody making fun. Always somebody say we'll talk about it later. I don't have time right now. And you'll get a lot of that too. But there's always some that believe too. <laughs> Or maybe one of your, maybe you, one of those who maybe walked off after the thing broke up, but you couldn't get it out of your mind. And when you went somewhere, it stayed there, and you considered it, and you thought about it, and you believed it, and you became a Christian one who goes to church on Sunday and sets up in a pew now. Maybe you was one of those others several times, but you came to the place to where you believe. I don't know. I don't know how many times you were witness to. But praise God, one time it sunk in, and you're where you are today. 
and you are in the greatest place that you as a human being can be anywhere on this earth. In the church. Not in this church, in the church. The one that's in your heart. You know, there's something that was explained to me one time. Did you give any money to Sunday school today? No, I didn't come with any money, so I couldn't give anything. Well, don't you think it's right when you go to church to put a little money in, in your little envelope or in a plate or something before you leave? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. But I couldn't do it today. And a fellow said, talking about that subject right there, once God has got your heart, he's got everything else you got anyhow. He's got all you got once he gets your heart. He doesn't have to worry about you. Doesn't have to worry about your money. Doesn't have to worry about your time, your assistance, your voice, your ideas, nothing. He's got you, and that's all he needs. when he's got your heart. He's got everything else you've got. And that's everything. Let's pray. Father, show us who you are. Let us know and understand you and what you're all about. Realizing, Lord, that you called us a peculiar people. We're not supposed to be like anybody else. We're not supposed to be comfortable with everybody else. We're to recognize, Lord, because of something that happened very special between you and us. That we belong to you now. We're bought and paid for. And you want us to be the kind of people that would love you enough and love each other enough to want to share what we've got with people who don't know you. Lord, I fear that we're coming on a time when there's going to be a lot of those that are going to be exposed. I believe, Lord, that this world is going to be shaken up and churches are going to be shaken up and we're going to have a lot of opportunity to either stay quiet or to voice this thing about Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for grace and for boldness that we might give people an option as to what's going on in this world.
and to be a part of what God is doing through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit throughout this whole world. Lord, have us ready to speak to somebody in whatever way we deem deem necessary or appropriate. Don't let us be afraid. Don't let us be hesitant. But with whatever word we have, whatever accent we might be speaking with, we might share Jesus Christ with each other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.